What is up, everyone? I think we are recording. Yep. What is up, everyone? How are you doing today? This is Raphael Garcia here with Sean Humes on Wednesday, February 23rd for episode 233 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. Swan, want to let everybody know how you're doing today? Uh, same as usual, just chilling. Been a busy weekend, but now it's cold again, so it'll slow down for a little bit. Man, this has been, I feel like this week has been a busy week already. It's Wednesday. It's just, man, I started a new job this week. It's just been a grind already. But um, Position or just a whole new situation? No, just a whole new situation. I left my last employer because they were getting on my damn nerves. But I'm in a much better spot now, so... um. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it, man. It's just been a grind of a week. Um, and there's still a lot to do because we have to talk about fights from this weekend coming up, previewing UFC 49, UFC Vegas 49, excuse me, Bellator 275, and also talk some boxing as well. I'm not going to talk too much about the action from this past week unless there's anything that Schwann really wants to hit upon. Um, but that, if you want to go back and watch UFC Vegas 48, that was a solid card with a hilariously funny knockout in the main event. But, you know, we'll touch on that in a moment. But before we do, as always, thank you for taking the time to check out this show. You can always find us across multiple platforms, including our flagship at MMARatingsNetAnd.com. You can check us out on YouTube at MMA Ratings. Please be sure to like and subscribe to our content there. And across all podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Spotify, check us out there at MMA Ratings. Also on social media, MMA Ratings Net on Instagram and Twitter. Schwann, you can hit him up at Black Jordan Green and myself at rgarcia underscore sports. So let's go ahead and jump into actually previewing this weekend's action first because we have UFC Vegas 49 on Saturday. And that has a big fight. It's at catch weight of 160 pounds. So it's not an official lightweight fight. But Bobby Green is coming back after what will be 14 days since his win at UFC 271 to take on Islam Makhachev and what is a big fight here. And I see a lot of commentary around it because I was immediately interested in this fight when it came up as a potential here because I think Green has really been showing a lot of when he has his high moments, his high moments look really well. And Makhachev looks like a hype train right now that's just rolling through people one after the other. And and people are almost tabbing him as a next lightweight champion uh, to be at some point in time in the future. So this is a compelling fight for both men because Green has the abilities on the feet to really outpoint and hurt Makhachev if necessary. But you have to wonder if he can do it over 25 minutes and if he can do it over 25 minutes after just fighting 15. So there's a lot to really kind of break apart here. And we're going to start with that fight first. Uh, Shawan, let me know what you think about this fight and what do you see initially? Um, I mean, I guess it's the closest thing to striker versus grappler. Bobby Green is actually a more accomplished wrestler than he is a striker. But in mixed martial arts, the his game is centered around his his boxing basically um essentially the fight just comes down to who can who can dictate where the fight takes place at if bobby green can dictate where the fight takes place at he wins if makachev can dictate where the fight takes place he wins as well it doesn't even necessarily have to be on the ground per se if he's able to get his hands on green and hang on him and push him up against the cage or get him in certain positions even if he's defending the takedown that's going to favor him because he's the superior grappler. He's the more consistent grappler. He's the more physical grappler. 
And anytime he's in a tie-up, a clinch, up against a cage or a scramble, it's working towards his favor. It's taking away some of the spring and the explosiveness out of Bobby Green. And that's where the advantage, that's where the advantage he has. Even even on the ground, I would say that Makachev's a good athlete, probably a much better grappler, but I'll say that Bobby Green, even at this point, is still one of the better athletes in the 55 division, which makes him one of the better athletes in the UFC. So ultimately it's can Makachev get to position control position and where on Bobby Green or is Bobby Green going to constantly outposition him and punish him for every offensive move he makes and keep him off balance and out of position and unable to build any momentum or get his hands on him and get him into the positions he needs to to dominate. So whoever can control that is is basically going to win the fight. How much of a impact do you think it will be that Bobby Green just went through a weight cut two weeks ago and he's coming off of that fight. Do you see that as a momentum builder because he performed so well at UFC 271? Or do you think that there's going to be a physical wall that he's going to hit? Because this is his, this is his first main event as well, too. So how much do you think all of that is really going to play into account? Well, even if he was fresh, I would feel there's a certain degree of a physical wall he could go into. Because Islam, that's the kind of fighter he is. He grinds guys out. He takes them down. He's constantly going to take downs. He's fighting for position. He's trying to establish and control position and break you down to set up submissions. That's his na- his style of fight is naturally a draining and physical type fight. Um the benefit of Bobby Green fighting recently is that he's he should be sharp. I mean he's already made he's had to make a weight. He just got off another fight. He should be as sharp as he's gonna be as far as his timing and his spacing, his combinations should still be sharp. He hasn't had any time to to down to to kind of backslide or, or lose his edge because he's still in that peak. So he, he should, in theory, be able to handle it. Um, what makes this tough is because of the nature of who he's fighting and the style he has. His style is made to break you down and to grind you down, and I don't care what kind of athlete you are. In a matchup such as that, it's easier to expose your uh, maybe some limitations as far as your cardio or your energy or your durability. I mean, even I, I think when you have to make another weight cut, especially this soon, your durability could be in question. I definitely think your energy level will be in question, which means – the pace you fight you fight with, the consistent you, consistency you show over the length of a fight, and your ability to take punishment in the fight, I, I feel all takes a step back. Only thing that balances that out is because, like I said, you just got out of a fight. You're sharp. You should be as sharp as you're going to be coming in, regardless of the fact that it's a much different kind of fight. As far as hit, Bobby Green's game plan pretty much never changes, so he should be as sharp as possible because he just came off of a performance. But I, I think there is a concern that, he won't have his legs if the fight goes past two rounds. And there should be a concern that he might not have his chin even early in the fight. Not that Islam is some kind of dynamic striker, but two weight cuts in pretty much a week's time. And I know it's a catch weight, but the fact is you still took punishment. You still had to make that weight. And now you're having to make another weight so soon after that could compromise you in that in that realm as well. So you said it, and you're not the only person that actually did. I saw um, another podcast talking about this as well. How do you think Bobby Green's wrestling is going to play in, into this fight here? Obviously, we know Makashev is a talented, talented wrestler who can control the fight and where it's happening at just about any point in time. But you mentioned that Bobby Green is a more successful wrestler than he is a striker. So elaborate on that. How do you see his ability to grapple play into this fight? Well, as as I recall, he's a more accomplished wrestler. Like he's actually competed at high levels in wrestling. Like even even if it, and I'm not quite sure about his accomplishments, but at least if 
Like if he's competed at a high 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 school level in wrestling, I don't know that he's competed at the equivalent in a boxing. Like he he mostly boxes. I don't know that if he if I put him in right now against a high level fifteen year old high school boxer, I don't know that that boxer doesn't give him the business because he hasn't ever competed at that level. So even when people say, oh, so-and-so is just a high school wrestler, but they're a really good striker, really good striker based off of what? They haven't even competed at a decent level of high school level of boxing or kickboxing, so it's hard for me to say. Now, he might be an overall better MMA striker than he is a wrestler, but going off of his accomplishments and what he spent the majority of his time doing, it's my understanding that he had wrestled for the bit larger part of his career. Could be wrong, but it's my understanding that he's been, he'd wrestled. The biggest thing that would help him with his wrestling is if instead of he likes to stand in place and he just slips and rolls and parries and covers and does all that. It's like little dips, little turns, little twists. But essentially, outside of maybe pivoting around, he kind of stays right in front of you. He stays right in front of you and kind of moves in and out in straight lines. If he was more, if he used his legs more of his line of defense, that would help his wrestling because he'd be constantly in and out of range. He'd be able to use the length of his range, come in, come out, and kind of disrupt Islam's momentum kind of catch him on the heels back him up draw him in catch him coming in but usually bobby green is essentially right there to be hit he steps off in angles he pivots a little bit but he's never really out of arms arms limb he'll come in he'll stick that jab then he starts digging to the body and coming over the top coming with a hook so he's within reach for you to tie him up get into a clinch or even shoot with them so i think his defensive wrestling his athleticism will allow him to get out of certain positions or force scrambles. But if he fought more in a more mobile manner, maybe on his toes a little bit more and look to lead instead of counter, I think he'd have a better chance of negating, of negating any um, openings that Islam would have to get his hands on him. When you're right there, even though I can still hit you with boxing combinations from this part, this far away, the fact of the matter is if I miss one and you slip, you could shoot off a slip. You could duck shoot off that, the reactive takedown, there's a lot of takedowns and injuries you can get from that position. The question is, is Bobby Green going to have, one, the energy to consistently keep stepping off and stepping around Islam to offset him? Two, is he going to have the burst? Because making a second weight cut, I couldn't expect him to have the same spring in his step. And three, when eventually his Islam gets his hands on him, will he have like the endurance and, and his physical strength to fight him off to create those scrambles because the explosiveness i believe won't hold up two or three rounds into it early on he should be at the top of his game whatever he has left he might be able to get him out of there but if he goes into two or three rounds you start to wonder will his power hold up will his legs hold up will his chin hold up and if though if he starts if his body starts failing him physically the wrestling will matter you won't you creating scrambles takes a huge amount of energy how many scrambles can he create when he just got done peeking for a fight, and he's got another fight right away. It's a brave gesture, but strategically, there's specific things that Islam knows he can attack or know certain areas he can attack that even if Bobby Green can, in theory, resist them, even technically, physically, you know he's not going to be able to hold up. When you, If you come off a short training camp or in two training camps in a row, and then you have face somebody who's has a style that's kind of built to wear on you, your energy level can't possibly be up. You know, it's like you you competed, you know, you get to a peak and then you come down. And then let's say you've got a grappling tournament, you have two in a row and you know you're supposed to be off for a month. Somebody calls you last second, Rafael, come in. And the guy you're facing is a physical, top-heavy submission guy. 
you know he's going to get you down. So you're going to have to constantly get up and fight for position. Even if technically you can hold your own, after two tournaments in a row, is your body going to have the energy and the resistance and the strength to force those scrambles, to get out of those positions, to explode out of certain positions? You can do it once, you can do it twice. Can you do it three times? Can you do it four times? The other guy can, he's fresh. But you're coming off of two tournaments in a row. You might not have anything left. Even if technically you know what to do and how to survive, physically you can't pull the trigger. No, I, I definitely see what you're saying and what you're going for there. So you mentioned it, and I kind of this that was the next question I had going into this fight here. Do you think it goes all 25 minutes? And if so, well, I kind of I'm gonna say this this that plays more into Makashev's um, wheelhouse. But do you see this fight going all 25 minutes? I don't think so. I, I figure either Bobby Green's gonna gas and Makashev's gonna. Get, get momentum going. He's essentially like a chainsaw. If you don't let him get started, he's not really a danger. But once he gets started, it's hard to turn the tide against him. I don't know in this condition that Bobby Green can. Even in the best circumstances, it would be tough. By the sec, by the other, on the other side of this, Bobby Green has to know that he's somewhat physical compromised. He knows this guy doesn't have the awareness and skill to really strike with him. So if Bobby Green counters heavily and puts something on him early, he can get him out of there. Makachev's defense isn't great. His offense isn't great. He he can hit. He's got some skill, but he doesn't have a natural feel for striking. He's not hard to get to. He's not his entries into his takedowns and his clinches. I don't find them to be particularly slick. And even if they are, it's against guys who most more or less stay right here and back up in straight lines. Now, Bobby Green can back up and come in in straight lines, but Bobby Green also has a habit of dipping off and turning and pivoting out, which means even though he's within arm's reach of you, it's hard to get to him the way you want to because he's he's kind of slanting his stance a little bit, blading his stance. So it's not easy to get that double leg because he's already bladed. You might get the single leg. He's a good enough wrestler, good enough athlete. He can scramble out of that. You might get to his hips, but you can't get deep in his hips the way you want to. And every time you're trying to reach or step into it, he's got uppercut, counter uppercut, overhand right. He can just stick that jab coming in, back you up. He has a lot of tools to chip you up on the way in. So I could see him just blowing the doors off Islam early. But once again, if he can't get him out of there early or put something on him really noticeable, I don't know that he can maintain any sort of pace or maintain his power long enough to have the same effect if the fight goes two and three rounds. Now, if you tell me Bobby, Bobby Green's going to be totally fresh and he's going to be light on his feet and full of energy and be able to fight a hard five rounds, well, now we have a toss-up. But even in the best case scenario, Bobby Green tends to fight in a manner that makes it tough for Islam, but also exposes himself, which means he's going to be tested anyways. Even in the best case scenario, he, his energy and his physicality would be tested. But this, as far as his physical well-being and his physical resources, this isn't a good. This isn't a good scenario. You know, we, we can talk about how Donald Cerrone used to fight after fight after fight after fight, or uh, um, Lupi Lupi Godinez had fight after fight. When the styles favored her, it was a little bit better. Against certain styles, that consistently fighting thing does not work. It, it just doesn't. There's a, there's a price to pay for that. And I, I feel like in this case, he's been given a, a style matchup that kind of goes against, that kind of attacks certain tendencies he has, even in the strong points of his game. I mean, the, let's be clear. Islam is being set up to win this. This is who they want to win. And if they really didn't think he could win this fight, they really wouldn't be putting him in this fight. We know his manager wouldn't allow for it. So clearly they see something in, in 
Green they could expo- exploit, whether it's a technical thing or it's just like you said earlier. Sometimes Green looks like a million bucks, top five contender, and I've said this too. Other times, you wonder how the hell this man even got into the top 15. It's just he's hit or miss. He gets hot, he gets cold, and you never know which one you're going to get. That's why nobody is ever truly confident betting on him because you never he's not a consistent performer, especially as you raise the level of opposition. Certain level of opposition, he's consistent, consistent, slowly gets better, gets to a certain level of opposition, and it's like you can throw out everything you saw for the last four fights. He's going to turn in a terrible performance where he gets outworked, beaten up, outgrappled, and just bullied around the cage. Okay, so let's 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 talk about that because you mentioned it in saying that this fight is almost being set up for Makashev to win. Is he the next title contender if he picks up a victory here? Is Bobby Green if he picks up a win here? Or is this a fight where it's like, okay, you've won one, you're still one away. You still need to pick up a win over a Michael Chandler or a Conor McGregor or someone like that. Are they still win and, or is this enough of a win to get them a title shot? Well, Makachev has put so many wins together, even though it hasn't been over the greatest competition. He's, I mean, if you think about it, he's kind of like Khabib in that he's beaten a bunch of second, sometimes third or fourth tier fighters, but he's beaten so many of them. It's built his reputation and put him and kind of built a mystique that he's this unstoppable force. Because prior to winning his title, Khabib wasn't beating anybody who's really great. I mean, there's a Michael Johnson win and like a couple other guys, but it wasn't like some murderer's row of lightweights he was facing. He's been got a lot of guys who were on the on the back nine of their careers. Um, you look at Makachev's record, Lason Tebow. I mean, that's good. Nick Lentz, Chris Wade, Cajun Johnson. I mean, he gets a little bit better with the Drew Dober, Dan Hooker. But even 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 in those cases, Dan Hooker is really hit was really hit at miss a lightweight. He's never been with. To me, he's never been an elite lightweight. Beating Dan Hooker does not mean you're elite to me. Beating Drew Dober. Drew Dober's never really been an elite lightweight. He's been one of the better lightweights, but an elite lightweight? Nah, he's never been that either. So it's like he's built up this reputation. He's got so many wins that you can just instantly place the argument that you have a storyline behind him challenging for the title. Obviously, he's connected. And when you're putting like five, six, seven, eight, nine wins together in the UFC— it's uh, it's hard to say that you don't deserve a title fight when the next closest guy has maybe had three, maybe four or five wins. Even if it's been against better competition, the fact of the matter, it's hard to overshadow nine wins in a row, most of them being finishes, over somebody who's got three or four wins in a row, some of them being finishes, a lot of them just being less than fight of the year type decisions. So I think he's already set up. He wins, he goes through. Whether it's a catchweight or not, he goes through next. Bobby Green? Stylistically, I I could see an exciting fight with him and Justin Gaethje or him with Charles Oliveira, but I don't think that beating Makachev is going to be enough for him. I really don't. I don't think that instantly he steps into position. He could. He started talking a little bit more, um, especially if he comes off of two wins back. You know what? He comes with two wins back to back and he beats Makachev. I, I'm going to say he probably gets a title fight too. I mean, they don't have a clear other person in position to challenge for the title. Who Poirier can't do it right now. Chandler's nowhere near it. Tony Ferguson isn't. Connor from Gregor isn't. Um, Justin Gaethje will be obviously the next challenger. And if Bobby Green wins his fight, he's in pole position. He takes over. He's the next challenger for whoever wins that title fight. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I think that Bobby Green is. I can see both individuals having an own argument for being the number one contender 
if they win or whoever wins on Saturday. Um, I do think that their Bobby Green fits more of the UFC mold of who they like to kind of put in that position. Um, and fans have really gotten behind him. I feel like they've been behind him for a little while, but his performance at UFC 271 kind of really solidified that for him. So if he picks up a victory and if he looks really good in that space, I think it would be a clear call for him to get a title shot. Whether he gets it or not, you never know how those things kind of shake out, but I could definitely see him being the next one to be named the uh, number one contender, whether it happens or not. Yeah. Um, Schwann, what else stands out to you on this card? There's a lot here. Uh, nothing that really kind of jumped off the page to me, but I wanted to give you the opportunity to say what else kind of stands out to you at UFC Vegas 49? Yeah, not a lot. I mean, it's once again a lot of good fights, but not a lot of fights that are well-known and not a lot of fights that are going to turn the division, whether someone wins or not. And um, like we've had this discussion before, they fill it up with fights that will give you good action and introduce you to some of the guys who might be up and coming. But most of these guys aren't blue chip type prospects. They're not guys who are listed as potential stars. And right now the fights they're being involved in aren't fights that are going to change the direction or determine the next challenger for a title or next top ranked contender. It's really just fights of people in the early stages of their career trying to find their footing and make some positive steps forward to possibly being one of the better fighters and hopefully having the chance to be elite. All those fighters deserve respect. All the fights are worth watching, but they're not the kind of fights that are going to draw on the casual fan. And, you know, even for hardcores, there's some of the fights you can just catch later on after the fact, if you really want to see them like that. It's not a bunch of must-see fights. Yeah, nothing really jumps off this page to me. Like, I'm interested in how Armin, um, Armin Petrosane, how he performs. Um, that's a good fight between him and Gregory um, Rodriguez. I think that's a good fight there. There's a couple others that jump out to me too as well, like the Josian Nunez versus Ramona Pascal. That's a good one. Um, Jim Ji Young Kim and, and Priscilla Cachoeira are both probably fighting for a spot on the roster. So we'll see how that looks as yeah, well. Good fights, but especially in the women's fights, they'll be good fights. It might even be action packed, but having seen a lot of these fighters are not exactly high level or, or strategically genius type fights. They'll just be good, exciting fights at the best case scenario. Worst case scenario, you're just going to seem pained by the number of wins, which are very important for the fighters because wins could get you fired. Uh, wins could get you, keep you there. Loss could get you fired. But as far as like the appeal and the importance to a division, most of the people on here either haven't gotten to a point where they could be considered champions or potential champions, or the other ones have already had their shot, not made it, and now they're just being used to fill out cards or to hopefully establish uh, newer stars who are coming in to fight them. Very true. And let's use that to segue over into Friday's card going down in Dublin, Ireland, where uh, Gegard Mousasi is defending the Bellator Middleweight Championship against undefeated Austin Vanderford. Now, we're going to say it one time, just get it out the way. Yes, he is Paige Van Zandt's husband. But the dude has been putting together a very solid campaign in Bellator as well. He should not be overlooked for that ad. If I play into that, I would be like, Austin, Mr. Paige Van Zandt. Yeah, seriously. Like, like if they want to have fun with it, play into it. Uh, I saw someone on Twitter talking about this fight earlier today or yesterday. Uh, kind of painting the idea that Vanderford does not have a, a chance to win here. And I would like to push back against that. I know Gegard is one of those guys that we long looked at 
as he may be one of the best guys to fight in the UFC and not become a champion, one of the top guys to ever fight outside the organization as well. Multiple-time champion, Strikeforce, Dream, Bellator. I mean, he's held titles everywhere. But I think this is a trap fight for him. Um, Austin Vanderford is no cakewalk in any way, shape, or form, and I would not be surprised if he picked up the win on Friday. Well, the the biggest thing is a lot of people um, the the lot a lot of things what people are forgetting is even though Musasi is very skilled, has a very IQ, and has been fairly accomplished in multiple combat sports and altogether in mixed martial arts, there's things that people are ignoring. One, Musasi's been fighting for a very long time. He's not super old, but in fighting years, he might as well be in his 40s. He's had so many fights. Secondly, you have to think about this. This is fight number 58 for him. Exactly. Like whether he dominated or whatever, it's still training camp you went through. It's still punishments you taken. And he was training back in the time when they didn't have as many scientific methods towards training. So you know there's a little bit of extra wear and tear on his body from fighting bigger guys, from sparring bigger guys, and probably sparring sessions that shouldn't have happened. That's just the reality of the sport. It's transitioned so much. He's been in it long enough to – he was the, the tail end of that – early stage and transition through to the modern stage now but he's been in a lot of fights there's a lot of wear and tear at some point your body breaks down at some point you lose some of the athleticism at some point excuse me you lose some of your durability and your physical strength secondly musasi is a guy who fights in spots some people fight in spots because they're very explosive like anthony johnson would just explode amanda lemos would just explode in spots anthony pettis would just explode in spots Musasi is a guy who really only gets offensive or assert, asserts himself in spots. He let, he's a very nonchalant, relaxed guy, probably because he's got such a rounded skill set. He's so experienced in multiple frames. He doesn't have that nervous energy. He's very comfortable in any position, and that's good in one instance because you won't panic, you won't burn out. But it's bad in a certain position because you always feel like maybe I'm not being harmed. Maybe I'm not being damaged. And so as a result, I don't have a sense of urgency. I can, he's not really landing on me. So I'm just slipping, sticking, landing one or two jabs, landing a counter punch here or there, even though this person's throwing 15 punches every two minutes. That person's driving like 60 punches a minute, even if they're not landing, even if they're not landing as much, it seems, it tells a story that they're out working you because you're throwing one for every seven they throw. So they're like literally just, the numbers are just racking up on their end. And it's not a matter of effective regression or not. It's the fact that no matter what you do, you can't slow down this person's work rate or this person's volume. A lot of his fights, if you watch them, guys are outworking him for huge amounts of periods of time. It's just ultimately they expose, they either get tired and slow down to where they get in a position where he can get a submission, he can get a reversal, he can land a big shot, whatever the case is. Or these people... He hurts them early, and then they don't want to – he hurts them early with something. They ca- he catches them on the counter, and now they're not willing to work. So to me, Vanderford has a very clear advantage. I think he's a better athlete at this point. He should be more durable. The only question is, can he ma- set a pace that he can maintain for the entirety of the fight? Because a guy like Musasi is so experienced. The minute you slow the, a half a step or you start resting in certain positions, he's going to know and he's going to have you. So can he set a pace he's going to maintain, and will he attack on multiple fronts? Like he can't, he can't refuse to engage in any area on the feet, on the ground, kicking range, long range. He he can't get stuck at any range 
he most likely wants to be in the boxing range, but he, he has to be willing to engage in every range. He can't be trying to leap in on somebody like Musasi. Musasi will read that encounter. Musasi will hit a reactive takedown. You've got to work yourself in from every single range. You can't, I'm just going to rush through the kicking range. That's not going to work. You've got to kick with them. You can't just rush through the jabbing range. You're going to walk into something. You've got to jab with them. If he starts tying you up, you can't just be trying to get away. You've got to be trying to battle him and put him in a bad position. You can't be fearful of the width and depth of his skill set. You have to be willing to attack him and be competent and skilled enough to defend from any position in any range in any discipline of mixed martial arts where you have a chance to succeed. And if you constantly do that, you will outwork him. And the guys who've beaten him have essentially been able to just engage him enough in other positions that they could dominate in the positions, the, the few positions they get him in. But that means you have to engage him in everyone. If he feels there's something you're avoiding or there's something you don't want any part of, he's going to create instances where he can trap you in that and he's going to exploit you. So you, the only way you can challenge that is by taking everything away. It's how Amanda Nunes lost. It's like how a lot of better fighters lose when they're dominating. It's because people are actively trying to avoid certain spots. They spend so much energy trying to avoid this certain spot. They can't get any of their other game off. Vanderford has to be willing to engage him in every spot. And he has to be willing to set a pace and constantly build on the pace. If he does that, one of two things is going to happen. Musasi is going to go defensive and be comfortable because he's not getting punished but he's going to allow himself to be outworked or Musasi is going to have to ramp up his energy level and his effort. And I don't believe that Musasi can fight at pace anymore. He's never really done it. But at this stage, when you get to a certain age, you definitely can't fight at pace. And a lot of older fighters don't fight at pace. They use a lot of nonsense and a lot of taking what they call in boxing, where you take a walk, you kind of walk around. Anderson Silva used to do the 52 blocks, anything to get a break in the fight to allow him to get his bearings, get his energy back and start making reads. If he doesn't, if he's not allowed to do that, I think Vanderford wins a clear decision. Possibly submission win, but definitely a clear decision. But he has to be able to maintain his pace and build on it for the entirety of those five rounds. Yeah, well, not the entirety. He only has to win three. Like that's the thing. He only has to win three if it goes to a um, a decision. And I think he can do that. Uh, that's really what I've been looking at from the way he fights and the way we've seen Gegard be beaten in the past, like the type of fighters that have beaten him. I think Ashton kind of fits within that space of someone who can really pick up a victory here. Well, it's not that he, you're right. He only has to win three, but if he, if he, just, if he wins three in a row and then he decelerates in the fourth, Musasi's like a veteran's veteran. He can submit you. He can knock you out. If you're just dead tired, he can just control you. You can't afford to just fall off a cliff. If you fall off a cliff against a lesser experienced guy, then you can navigate that. I don't know that Austin Vanderford can be on his back foot or consistently be on his back against someone like Musasi and win a fight. Now, if he has to go back in spots, he could probably navigate that. He gets put on his back and he fights right back off. He can get he can navigate that. I don't believe that he can consistently be backed up or controlled on his back and win a fight against Musasi. So he has to constantly make him uncomfortable, attacking multiple levels, and he has to constantly put pressure on him. He doesn't want Musasi making reads. He doesn't want Musasi getting into a zone where he's comfortable and he starts exploring it and, and chipping away at him. He wants Musasi either on the defensive or he wants Musasi being reactive, reactive and wasting his energy trying to keep up with him. If it's just in that middle ground where he's staying at length and he's going to box with him and wrestle with him from fencing range, Musasi is going to dismantle him. I mean, he's got the athleticism, but if he's going to allow Musasi to throw the athleticism out, 
and dictate long range exchanges, the fight's as good as over. I can definitely agree with that there. Um, I want to let you say what's, what interests you on the card, but for me, it's the co-main event. Uh, I'm interested in Leia McCann's. I want to see if she can break through. She has an opportunity here on Friday, I think. I mean, I don't think they need more women at 145 that can not only be a potential opponent to Cyborg, but perhaps a potential additional name to help draw over Kayla Harris and as her um free agent negotiations still go on. I think that McCourt can become someone in that space if she does um, some work to Kavanaugh. Uh, Kavanaugh is coming off of a brutal stoppage to Cyborg. So this is a path for uh, Leia McCourt to get to that title fight. I think she's won four or five. No, she's won. Yeah, she's won five in Bellator since moving over. And they really don't have anyone else. So, again, it is an opportunity of being in the right place at the right time. But she's someone that I'm keeping an eye on for for Friday. I just think it's like it's too. I, I mentioned this fight, too. I, I feel when Kavanaugh fought Cyborg. I felt it was going to be a competitive fight because Kavanaugh is a boxer and not just a girl who box or punches. She actually can switch stances. She can move around. She can jab. She can faint. She can take angles. She can throw counters. She can lead to a certain degree. She's not the lead at all of them. But she could do them at a much more consistent rate than most fighters. When she fought Cyborg, they got into an exchange. And when Cyborg got her in its cage, instead of, instead of exiting out or pivoting out or resetting and making Cyborg come after her, because as dynamic as Cyborg is, she's lost a step. And she's much more methodical now. Kavanaugh could have stayed on the outside, peppered her, worked her way in. She, she could have made it, if not a punishing fight, she could have made it a strategically and technically difficult fight for Cyborg. But instead, she decided to hang in the pocket in exchange, and Cyborg essentially dominated her and knocked her out. So she didn't even put up enough of a performance where anybody could justifiably put her back in with Cyborg, no matter how many. She had to probably put in like five or six wins in a row to, to, to get a chance at Cyborg again. So it would benefit Bellator for McCord to win because there's a theory that Cyborg can't grapple, and there's this girl who's just tapping people left and right. So she's vulnerable enough on the feet, but so dangerous on the ground that you could k- kind of create a storyline that maybe she could catch Cyborg in something. That that would be the angle they push. And it would be fresh blood in there. Somebody who's not well-known from the UFC, like a new star who's kind of been developed through the Bellator system. My concern for McCord is she doesn't really seem to have a lot of comfort on the feet. Like when people start really pressing her, she starts wrestling out of desperation, tying up. And against a lot of girls, that's good enough because they don't have any footwork and they don't have any idea of how to use range or feints to keep someone off them or escape them. But Kavanaugh has all those things. So if McCourt hasn't made some specific adjustments tailored to Kavanaugh, it becomes a very tough fight for her because she can't get the fight to where she wants it to. Kavanaugh's probably as big and strong as her, probably a better athlete, definitely quicker on the feet, quicker hands. So if she can't get to certain spots or, or get certain clean entries, it's going to look a lot like her chasing Kavanaugh, Kavanaugh just picking her off with kicks, cap, check hooks, jabs, and straight shots. So I'm very interested to see if McCourt has been, because she hasn't shown it. I want to see if she's been slow, been working on her skill set, and now that it's the best moment for her, she's going to showcase it. As far as Kavanaugh, I want to see how she's recovered from the knockout. Because um, it wasn't she didn't take a lot of abuse, but she did get put out pretty pretty demonstratively. So I don't know if she's the same fighter. She was already an older fighter. She'd already been through a fair share amount of fights. 
I don't know that she's gone past her tipping point. I don't think she has, but I, we've never seen her stop like that. And cuts, you know, decision losses, yeah. I've never seen her stop like that. So is that just a matter of Chris being that devastating? Or is Kavanaugh officially stepped over that hump to where she's on the decline? And uh, finally, uh, hopefully this is a win for Kavanaugh. I think she's still with, um, I think she's with, funny enough, her coach, Kavanaugh. Um, he hasn't been, he hasn't, he, he's been taking his lumps and has gotten further away from Conor McGregor. His reputation as a coach, John Kavanaugh's reputation as a coach has taken a beating because he has not seemed to make adjustments, reads, or the proper plans for his fighters to win, even when they're in matchups that favor them. And this is a matchup that should favor Sinead Kavanaugh. So a loss from her is disastrous. I don't know what she does at that point in her career. A loss for McCourt, really no big deal. A win for her is life-changing. But a loss, there's really no pressure on her to win this fight. It's all on Kavanaugh, both Kavanaugh, the coach and the fighter. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. There, it, it, I just don't realize, is she married to John Kavanaugh? I don't think so. I, I don't think so. Okay, I was just curious there, but um, just because just you see that a lot in MMA, but that's another conversation for another day. Uh, what else on, well, we were talking about what else on this card. I think the last item I have for us today is talk a little bit of boxing. Um, two notes we have here. First is Kel Brook and Amer- uh, Amir Khan. Everybody has been talking about Kel-, Kel Brook as if the wheels have come off and he's done. But my question is, was this performance more about Kel Brook or was it more about the, the continued decline of Amir Khan? Well, ultimately, it, this was this was kind of a microcosm of Amer- Amir Khan's whole career. When I saw the fight, Amir did not look slow. His hands still looked fast. His feet looked fast. His technique didn't look good. He didn't look fluid, per se. He didn't look like he'd been fighting and training. Because you can't just fight or train for a couple of months. It's the same thing we see in celebrity boxing. People hit the pads for a couple of months, and they feel super sharp. But for that to be second nature, for you to really feel comfort and know what to do against somebody who's also been training, that takes years. It's why Nate Robinson got iced by um, Jake Paul. There's one guy's been boxing for years and training for boxing. One guy did some boxing for a couple months. You can't make that up unless, A, you're a much better athlete, or B, that person is just as inexperienced as you are. That wasn't the case in that. And once again, that that seemed to be what happened with Brooke. Brooke had been fighting pretty consistently and pretty actively. He was still training and preparing like he was a professional fighter. And um, essentially, he just – essentially, Khan's chin betrayed him again. Um, he took a beating for six rounds, but ultimately his chin failed him. He was never able to recover when he got hurt in the first round. And from that point on, the fight just snowballed out of control for him. But the bigger and more consistent underlying story in this is Amir Khan was always a great athlete, great hand speed, great foot speed, great natural offensive boxing talent. He had never had a guy rein him in, and he had never had a guy make him more defensively sound and defensively aware. For his, a, a two-time world champion, who's fought a who's who of fighters, multiple former champions, future champions, and ranked fighters, he's never really adjusted his defense consistently. Things like keeping your chin down, not leaning into shots, not rushing into shots, basic stuff that you would think any fundamental basic boxer would know, he didn't ever have to apply because his speed and his athleticism allowed him to navigate that. But as you face better competition, and they can take your power, and they can handle your speed, and they can make it to later rounds, then those openings start becoming bigger as you tire, as you get more confident, and those prices you pay for eating those shots become more devastating 
which would begin with a series of knockout losses to any number of high-profile fighters. So ultimately what it costs Amir Khan is what has always cost him, a lack of nuance and po- lack of poise in his offensive attack and a lack of nuance and awareness in his defensive one. Kell Brook exposed that. Kell Brook's always been the more durable guy, uh, probably been the harder-hitting guy, and and by that nature, that won in the fight. Um, but one thing that Kell Brook will never be able to do is match Amir Khan's resume. Amir Khan came to America, and he faced the best of the best. Kell Brook kind of was moved appropriately to get to his title. Yeah, he fought Golovkin, but that was a money that was a money grab. Yeah, he fought Errol Spence, but that's only after he got the money grab for fighting Golovkin. He wasn't a guy who consistently fought the best guys. I'm not saying he couldn't have beaten them, but he had never consistently fought the level of competition Amir Khan is. And that's why Amir Khan, across the world, is considered a higher caliber fighter than Kell Brook. Not because necessarily he's better than him individually, but because he's constantly faced a better competition. So when people are saying he was trying to duck Kell Brook, he fought Danny Garcia, Marcus Maidana. He was calling out Floyd Mayweather and Timothy Bradley fought Lamont Pearson, Zab Judah. These are guys who at one point were the best in their division or the best in multiple divisions. So how are you going to tell me I'm ducking this guy who's fighting third tier fighters when I'm over here fighting the best, win or lose, I'm consistently fighting the best. That's what ultimately is going to establish and cement his legacy. The fact that he went overseas and he faced the best guys and he beat the best guys for titles. Whereas Kell Brook, really, the best guys he faced were later in his career. Terrence Crawford, late in his career. Um, Errol Spence, after he'd already been damaged by Gennady Golovkin. Sean Porter, Golovkin, Spence, and Crawford are really the only notable names he's fought. Amir Khan's fought like four times as far as notable guys in that. So it, it just, and then he's fought comparable names such as Canelo and other people. So, Khan's always going to be seen as the better boxer, better fighter. But as far as who's got the better boxing technique and would determine the fight, it ultimately it was Amir Khan's lack of nuance, layers, and awareness on his defensive end, which has been a story for him since the beginning of time. Well, good stuff there. So that's some pretty good um, analysis there. What do you think is next for Kilbrook at this point in time after picking up that win? I mean, he's got some options. They said he could stay overseas and he fight Conor Ben. Uh, he'd have to move up. I don't know that's good for him because I don't know that Kel, I mean, I feel Kel's like shot himself and maybe a fight or two from retirement. I thought he could maybe, he could maybe try to call out someone like a Keith Thurman because Keith Thurman isn't who he used to be either. He's, he's taking a step back. I know the win over Mario Barrios was a good win, but Mario Barrios, even though I thought he could win, was not, is not an elite talent, is not an elite boxer, is not an elite fighter. You could sell that fight. And Thurman could get two fights in a win, and it'd be two fairly high-profile fights, fights he's supposed to win, fights that help him get some rounds in, and fights that make him some money and get him more notoriety. If he went over, he's willing to go overseas to fight Brooke, that'd be a big event, Keith, Keith Thurman versus um, Kel Brooke. I, I doubt it happens, but those would be safer, more financially viable options for him. Um, I don't know that he wants to fight any real legitimate contender because I don't know that he's capable of fighting one. It, it it doesn't benefit any contender to fight him because it's clear what he is at this stage of the game. And those guys are trying to get closer to title shots or, or trying to find out how good they are. And Kel Brook, at the stage he's in, he's not a test for any of those guys. So I would say something like Connor Brin, maybe an Adrian Broner, or Keith Thurman would be his best options. Or retirement, if we're just playing it safe. Okay, good stuff there, sir. 
Um, let me see. Uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about was Dillian Brooke ahead of time turning in his contract to face Tyson Fury on April 23rd. Uh, so that fight look, looks like it's as bad as, as official as we could call it right now. Uh, what are some of your early thoughts about that contest? Um, I mean, to be honest, it should be a fairly easy one. Brooke is white, is a tough, gritty kind of guy. He hits fairly hard. He's got some seasoning. He's got some boxing ability. But he's more like an educated brawler. Tyson Fury, as far as his athleticism, his IQ for the game, his feel for the game, and his skill set is pretty much light years ahead of him. It's not a fight that most people will consider to be competitive, except White will fight the entire time. And he'll be looking to win the entire time, even if it's more desperation. So that makes it dangerous. But as far as like the skill set, the accomplishment, and who's performed the best against the best opposition, it's not even close. It's a big domestic fight in their country, but it's not a fight that a lot of people would call a 50-50 fight or even a 60-40 fight. Um, right now, Fury, the, the biggest interest in the fight is, will Fury be able to get up for a guy who is not a name opponent for a guy who is not Anthony Joshua, Usyk, or Deontay Wilder. Because for the basically last two or three years, he's always done is by Deontay Wilder. So one, can he make an adjustment to a different style? Two, can he fight a guy who's not one of the guys that he, who are close to being the best heavyweight at the time? And three, can he follow up the performance with inconsistency? Because in his career, he's had big performances and big layoffs and big performances, and he's gone off the rails. Nobody's actually seen him actively, consistently defend, defend belts and carry on like a true champion. And I'm not saying he's not a true champion because he's won those fights and he's accomplished that goal. But I'm talking about like a, a steadily, consistently active Canelo-type champion or Oscar De La Hoya or even Mayweather early when he used to fight fairly often. Tyson Fury's never been that guy as a champion. If I recall correctly, he won the title and then dropped him and then you know came back and fought Deontay Wilder. And then in between that, he had some tune-up fights, and then he fought Wilder again, and then he didn't do anything, and then he fought Wilder again. He's never really been an active defending champion as far as fighting all comers and fighting whoever comes up. So him fighting White is actually going to be the first time anybody's actually seen Tyson Fury kind of bear his responsibilities as a champion. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that fight. Um, I think Tyson Fury has a, has a bigger draw uh, than he did, especially after that last Wilder contest. So I'm looking forward to seeing how this fight looks once it goes down. Schwan, um, that's all we really had to talk to talk about today. We've gone a little bit more than 45 minutes. Why don't you um, let everybody know? I just want to touch on that, that Jamel Hill, uh, Johnny Walker fight, just for uh, a second. Go ahead, have at it. Um, I feel bad for Johnny Walker because he's stuck in this little phase where he's trying to be more technical. He's trying to be more methodical and more patient. And to make that kind of adjustment, that's not something that happens overnight. It's not even something that happens in two or three fights because essentially you're changing the entirety of your style. And it's hard to master the nuance of it, especially when you've been a guy who's been able to rely on his athleticism so much. Um, against Hill, he made a pretty common mistake. He kind of he kind of stayed at the same level. He didn't really move his head, and he walked into a shot. He started. He engaged in a long range fight with a guy who's a long range fighter. Johnny Walker's not a long range fighter. He's a guy who's explosive, who's in and out, who's all over the place. That's his strength, the creativity and his athleticism that can make anything he does maximize it by ten times, or any mistake he makes minimize it by 
you know, minimize it by 50%. That's where he kind of lives in. He got stuck in a position where he was fencing with Hill at a long range, trying to work his way into range and just ate a counter. He had the right idea, but he didn't have nearly the right positioning. There wasn't any sort of level change. or wasn't putting his head off the center so he wouldn't eat a counter shot. There's just a lot of the subtle fundamental things that he didn't do that got him knocked out. Um, early on in the fight, he had moments, though, because Hill is a guy who's used his length and his athleticism that allows him to maintain his range and just chop you up with kicks and jabs and straight shots to the body and straight shots to the head. Walker's athleticism was confusing him, and when he started throwing in combination or throwing series of shots, Hill's defense kind of falls apart. It kind of falls apart, and he tries to reset. The problem is Walker, instead of sticking with that, started to be more calm, more methodical, and tried to fight him at his range, and that's what ended up costing him. I'm not quite sure what he does from this point because it seems like he, he can't – It's gonna for me, it's going to take a while for him to get the nuances down, so it's going to be basically feast or famine. Against a certain caliber of athlete, he's going to always win because he's just that much better of an athlete. His power will make a difference. His speed and his flexibility will make a difference, and that's going to be enough for him to, to run roughshod over them. But when those physical talents kind of level off, you see more of the holes in his game. You see the fact that he, there's not a much depth to it. When he fought Tiago in the last fight, he didn't have any creativity because he knew that certain things he did against lesser guys, he couldn't do against them. He was safety first because he knew any move he made could be could be a punish could be a fight ender. And it was and it ended up being the same against Jamal Walker. He he got he got his lights taken out because he had no idea how to correctly set up or to get to the spots he needed to get to without eating incoming fire. So I don't know what you do with him right now because he, he's had some pretty bad knockouts and you have to start wondering about his ability to move forward. And secondly, he's so far behind everybody. Technically, I don't know that he actually has a skill set to build on. So if you don't have a certain amount of durability and you don't have a skill set, it becomes really, really hard for you to consistently put wins together because you don't have any sort of structure, any sort of direction. You're just doing whatever. And that's fine when you're 10 times better as an athlete. But when you're only maybe you're a 10 and I'm an eight, that's not a big enough gap for you to dominate anymore. So it could get really bad for him, and he really might have to start looking into another line of work because he doesn't seem to have a natural feel for the game, nor does he have the technical awareness or even the strategical awareness to navigate all the holes that he presents to his opponents. As far as Hill, Hill Hill's on the he's on the rise, but I still think his biggest issue is when guys pressure him and guys throw volume. He doesn't look the same. Anytime guys throw a series of shots, he doesn't really actively fire back. He covers up and he resets. He tries to reestablish that range because that's where he's strong as that. Now, when he's coming towards you, he'll open up. But when you're coming towards him, he'll throw one shot at a time and try to reset, which means he can be overwhelmed. He can be outworked. He can be bullied. You just have to be willing to pay a certain price to get there. And you have to stay in there once you get there, which is what Johnny Walker didn't do. So I see that he has potential. I just don't know that he's ever going to turn the corner as far as being an elite fighter in the next year or two just because a lot of his success even though he's more strategic and more technical about it a lot of his success is built off his length and his physical tools when he doesn't have those physical advantages as well he does not look nearly as dynamic as a fighter whether it's his takedown defense or striking if i put him against yan i don't know that he can do that if israel Adesanya moved up i don't think he does that to him either if rob whitaker moves up i don't think he does that to him either so right now I just see a very firm cap on it that's not elite. And that's 
you know, I mean, it, it once again, it makes it a good fight because it puts some depth to the light heavyweight championship and light heavyweight division, but it's not really a great one because neither one of these guys is seen as, um, is really seen as future contenders. At one point, Walker was, but he's no longer considered anywhere near a guy who's going to be a potential light heavyweight champion. Yeah, definitely that. And I think that Hill has the best um, upside, but there's still questions about him as well, too. So let's kind of see what that future looks like uh, and where his next fight comes up. And he talked about Vulcan Ostemir. So let's see how that looks for him in the near future. Um, Shawan, what are you working on? Uh, just articles. Kind of, I just do a lot of different articles and see what sticks, see what I w- want to try to get um, published. For the most part, I'm just talking the sport and breaking down coaching corners and kind of going through more kind of talking about the same points we have on here. Maybe somebody has a question or wants further explanation on a point we made on the show or, or an article I wrote. And I just allow fans to have the time if they want to talk about it for 15, a 15 page thread about why this doesn't work and why this does. I won't have that conversation because I just want people to have a better understanding of the sport and a better appreciation for what the athletes and the coaches are doing and how hard it is to do that against another, whether you want to call it a highly ranked fighter or just a guy who's willing to fight, I want them to have an appreciation for the preparation and the attention to detail that some coaches apply to get world-class results from their fighters. And I also want to highlight the fact that a lot of coaches don't do that and send these fighters out there to just get the hell beaten out of them while they take their money and move on to the next guy. A coach has 10, 20 years to get a world championship. A fighter usually has maybe three to five. So I like to highlight the great job that's being done, but also highlight that some of these fighters need to be more selfish in who they choose to train with because these guys are also shortening their careers and ruining any chance they have to make any real money or to compete for world championships. Good stuff there, sir. Um, As always, we'll be back here next week for episode 234. We've been on a good run, man. I'm trying to do the best we can to keep it up and keep it going. So, Again, thank you, everybody, for taking the time to check us out. You can hit us up at MMA Ratings uh, Net in all of various spaces, including Instagram and um, Twitter as well. Uh, I am Garcia underscore sports. Uh, Shawan is Black Jordan Breen. As always, if you see our content, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe. And again, we thank you for joining us. And we'll be back here next week, everyone. Thank you all, and have a great night. Have a good night, everybody.